from the corner of 16th and Peachtree Street, right next to the High Museum of Art in Midtown Atlanta. Welcome to the First Presbyterian Church. I'm Senior Pastor Tony Sundermeyer, and I want to thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. And I would invite you now to join us in the worship of God. Our first scripture reading comes from the New Testament from the book of Luke, chapter 17, verses 20 through 21. Listen for and hear the word of God. Once Jesus was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God was coming, and he answered, The kingdom of God is not coming with the things that can be observed, nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there it is, for in fact the kingdom of God is among you. Our second scripture reading also comes from the New Testament from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. Again, Listen for and hear the word of God. When you are praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that it will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As they're making their way out, let me offer a word before we pray. We are in the fourth week of a sermon series considering the meaning and efficacy of prayer. And each week we are taking a single line from the Lord's Prayer, and asking three questions of it. We'll get to those questions in just a minute. But we are uh, continuing on this journey to discern what does prayer actually mean? What kind of effect does prayer have in our lives and in the life of the world? Does prayer have an effect on God? Um, these are important questions that we have been sort of overhearing one another ask in the life of our church as we continue to press on humbly following Jesus Christ. And so the heart of this sermon series is to really dive deep into those questions and those experiences. Let's pray. Lord, we give you thanks for every good gift that you give us. We're especially thankful for the gift of your presence in this church. We're thankful for the welcome we've received by your grace. And we thank you that you are about to speak to us and are speaking to us and have spoken to us. And so we would ask that you would, by your grace, open our hearts and our ears to hear and to know that word that we need from you. We pray that it would form us and shape us, even to be more like your son, Jesus the Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I know what I'm praying for or what I'm asking for when I make most of my prayers. I know what it is that I'm asking for when I pray. When I prayed for a church member in my office on Thursday, someone who had just received very hard news from his doctor, I knew what I was praying for when I prayed for peace. 
I knew what I was praying for when I prayed for God's presence to be known in this difficult time. I knew what I was praying for when I asked that the doctors would utilize all their skill and all their wisdom and all their experience to bring healing to this man's life. I knew what I was praying for when I made that prayer. When I prayed over the various meals I had this week, I knew exactly what I was praying for when I prayed. I was praying prayers of gratitude and thanksgiving for the provision that God makes in my life. When I prayed for a young man sitting for the GMAT in preparation for him making application to to business school, I knew exactly what I was praying for when I prayed that he would recall all the information that he studied and that he would bring his very best self in mind to that exam. I knew exactly what I was praying for when I made those prayers. Now I assume that you also often know what it is you are asking for when you pray. Prayers for guidance and discernment as to what's next after learning that a cancer treatment is no longer working. You know what you're asking for when you make that kind of prayer. Prayers for comfort. As you lie in bed, tears in your eyes, you cannot fall asleep knowing that the other side of the bed remains empty. You know what you mean when you pray that prayer. Prayers that this round of rehab will finally work. Prayers that we would be more faithful or more kind or more loving or more generous. Prayers that we'd be forgiven by God and and forgiven by the ones we have harmed. Prayers for patience as we continue to work full-time and raise a family and navigate COVID. Prayers that come from the very depths of ourselves that God would lift whatever burden we are carrying. We know exactly what we mean when we pray those prayers. There is, however, one prayer that we pray each and every week, at least here in worship, that I am not always mindful of what it is I'm actually asking. I'm not always paying attention to what it is that I am requesting of God. And the prayer I'm thinking about in particular comes in the form of the second petition of the Lord's Prayer. These three words, your kingdom come. I'm not always mindful of what it actually means to pray that prayer. And I want to ask myself and I want to ask you, do we really know what we're asking for when we pray your kingdom come? Do we know what we're really saying? Do we know what we're really praying Fred Craddock, one of the great preachers of the last century, tells a story of a young pastor visiting an elderly woman from his congregation. She was in the hospital. As he entered into her hospital room, he found that she was seriously ill. She was grasping for for breath. She was wheezing, and amid tubes and machines, he came to her bedside and said, Well, what is it that you'd like me to pray for today? Holding her cough long enough, she was able to respond, I want you to pray that I would be healed. He kind of sighed, and then he started to pray a very safe and surfacey prayer. He sort of had a half-hearted tone. He said, Lord, we pray for your sustaining presence with this sick sister. And if it be your will, we pray she will be restored to health. 
But if it's not your will, we certainly hope she'll, able, she'll be able to adjust to her circumstances. Well, the pastor put an amen on that prayer. And immediately, the woman opened her eyes and she stopped coughing. She stopped wheezing. She threw her legs over to the side of the bed and she stood up immediately. She ripped the the, the wires out from her arm and her body and she ran down the hall to find her doctors and her nurses and she was screaming at the top of her lungs, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. The pastor grabbed his coat and began to walk toward the garage and when he finally reached his car, he looked up and said, God, don't ever do that to me again. (laughs) Here's the thing. Your kingdom come. If we pray that prayer, do we really know what it is we're praying for? We've said it a thousand times. Even more. Do we know what it is That we are actually saying when we pray, your kingdom come. When we pray that prayer, what we're really asking is for God to put us and the world to rights. When we pray that prayer, what we're really asking is that God's lordship would be realized in our lives. When we pray that prayer, what we are asking for is that God's culture, God's way, God's reign would be made manifest right in our midst. And so we may want to proceed with caution when praying this prayer because God may actually answer it and we may not like the answer. Oscar Wilde once said, our ambition should be to rule ourselves, the true kingdom for each one of us. Our ambition should be that we should rule ourselves, the true kingdom for each one of us. And here is a conflict right in front of our face with praying this line of the prayer. Because in this world, in the kingdom of this world, we are encouraged to move toward that ambition to create our own culture, to create our our own sovereignty, to create our own reign, to create our own world where we are the master of it. There is a conflict with praying this prayer because Wilde's commentary is true to form in what we experience. Messages from the kingdom of this world continue to tell us to become the master of our own domain to rule according to our own autonomy and our own will. We live in a world that reinforces Wilde's intuition. Rule yourself. Create your own kingdom. Create your own rules. Create your own way. Create your own sovereignty. We ought to be careful when we pray this prayer. Your kingdom come. Because what we're really asking for is for God to upend those kingdoms. And to create and usher in something totally and completely new. So if you're like me and are interested in, in, in knowing what it really means to pray this prayer, that I want to turn now to those three questions that have guided this sermon series. 
Three questions that go something like this. How does this line of the prayer invite us into a deeper intimacy with God? The second question is, how does this line of the prayer invite us into a deeper transparency with God? And how does this line of the prayer invite us into activity with God? So I want to spend just a moment on this first question about intimacy. And so when we pray this prayer, we're actually invited into an intimacy, a deeper knowing of of who God is. And what we're invited to know is the true nature of the king who rules this kingdom. That's what we're invited to know, the true nature of the king who rules this kingdom. Philosopher Soren Kierkegaard told a a well-traveled parable about such things. He said, suppose there was a king who loved a humble maiden. The king was like no other king. Every citizen trembled before his power. No one dared breathe a word against him, for he had the strength to crush all opponents. And yet this mighty king was melted by love for a humble maiden who lived in a poor village within his kingdom. How could he declare his love for her? If he brought her to the palace and crowned her head with jewels and clothed her body in royal robes, she would surely not resist. No one dared resist him. But would she love him? She would say she loved him, of course, but would she truly Or would she live with him in fear, nursing a a private grief for the life that she'd left behind? Would she be happy at his side? How could he know for sure if he rode to her forest cottage in his royal carriage with an armed escort waving bright banners, that too would overwhelm her. He did not want a cringing subject. He wanted a lover. He wanted an equal. He wanted her to forget that he was a king and she a humble maiden and to let shared love cross the gulf between them. For it is only in love, said Kierkegaard, that the unequal can be made equal. The king, convinced he could not elevate the maiden without crushing her freedom, resolved to descend to her. Clothed as a beggar, he approached her cottage with a worn cloak fluttering loose about him. This was not just a disguise, The king took on a totally new identity. He had renounced his throne to declare his love and to win hers. Kierkegaard, of course, has Jesus in full view as he weaves this tale. The true king and the true Lord, who Paul tells us in Philippians 2, that though he was in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God as something to be exploited, but he humbled himself and emptied himself and became a servant, became a slave. And being found in human form, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, Paul says, God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, every knee should bend in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Friends, Jesus Christ is the king of this kingdom. Jesus Christ is the self emptying servant Lord. We cannot as Christians talk about, conceive of, imagine the kingdom of God apart from Jesus himself. 
The kingdom of God is not just some humanistic aspiration. It is a theological conviction that is deeply tied to Jesus himself. Remember how Jesus started his own ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. In the New Testament, the kingdom of God is mentioned 119 times. There is not one topic more talked about than the kingdom of God. And so if we want to know about the kingdom, we've got to know Christ. We want to know the kingdom, we have to know Christ. For to know him is to know his kingdom, and to know his kingdom is to know what it is we're actually praying for when we ask, your kingdom come. The second question is about transparency. How does this this text invite us to a deeper transparency, a deeper honesty about who we are? Katie and I have uh, family friends up north who are building a brand new house, uh, they actually bought the land several years ago, and interestingly, the, the, purchase, the, the parcel rather that they purchased uh, crosses a county line. The house is going to be built on a county line. And this has posed some significant challenges for the architects and the, the, the builders, those who are doing the construction, because they have to pull uh, permits and, uh, from two different counties. And each county has its different standards, has its different ordinances, and so it's been a really difficult process. What they've also just recently found out uh, is that they're going to have to pay in some form or fashion taxes to both counties. They're going to have to pay homage to both counties. And here's how this, this illustration works, at least for me today. If you're like me, you know exactly what it, it looks like to straddle two kingdoms, to straddle the line, to say, yes, I want the sovereignty of God, I want the kingdom of God in my life, and at the same time and say, we say, yeah, I think I'm doing okay on my own. I, I think I like it better when, when I'm in control and when I'm running the, the show. We, 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 we pay homage to God and then we pay homage to ourselves. We pay homage to the kingdom of God and then we pay homage to the kingdoms of this world. One moment we affirm God's sovereignty, the next we affirm our own and say we can live without it. One moment we care about what God wants and the next we only care about what we want or what we think the world wants from us. One moment we love our neighbor and the next we want to hurt them. One moment we turn from sin and the next we turn toward it. We, we straddle this line between two kingdoms. And we're very good at that. And I think this prayer, simply put, invites us just to name the fact that we're good at straddling. Which is another way of saying that we're human beings filled with strengths And filled with weaknesses. And that by God's grace, because it only can happen by God's grace, God continues to move us toward the kingdom of God and away from the the kingdoms of this world. But God knows that we're human. God knows that we struggle as we straddle. God knows and God still loves us still. And God still invites us into the kingdom. Which brings me to the the third and final question, and I'll end with this. How does this line of the prayer invite us into the activity of God or activity with God? And I want to add a point of clarity here that I think is very important. It's, 
It's rooted in the biblical tradition and it's rooted in our theological life. The work of building the kingdom of God, let me be very clear on this. The work of building the kingdom of God is God's work. It's God's work. It belongs to God. Human beings don't build the kingdom. It's, it's not biblically or theologically accurate to say that the church is about the business of building the kingdom of God. Because in the witness of the New Testament, Jesus never tells a parable about the kingdom, never teaches on the kingdom and says, now you go do this. The language that he uses when he teaches on the kingdom of God, you know what he says? Enter and receive it. Not build it. Enter and receive it. Human beings don't build the kingdom of God. The church doesn't build the kingdom of God. The state certainly doesn't build the kingdom of God. Only God builds the kingdom of God. And our activity is to enter and receive it. If God is doing the building, then we are taking the keys and entering in. That's the role of the Christian. That's the role of the church. And the good news is, is that that kingdom that God is building is not just something far off into the future, but that as John read and read so well from Luke 17, the kingdom of God is in your midst. The building is actually right in front of you. The building is waiting for you to to enter and receive. And how do we do that? How do we enter and receive? What is our activity in all of this? I think what it means is to embrace the culture and reign of God. I think what it means is to embrace the way of Jesus Christ. That we enter and receive this kingdom when we choose humility, not arrogance. When we choose empathy, not apathy. When we choose integrity, not hypocrisy. When we choose honesty and not lies. When we choose peace, not violence. When we choose the courage to do what's right instead of doing nothing at all. We enter and receive the kingdom when we begin to allow our lives to align to the culture and reign of God. And we know that reign in Jesus himself. We cannot understand what it is we're praying for when we pray your kingdom come unless we know this king, unless we know Christ. We are honest that we straddle the line, but by God's grace, we're invited once again, even now, to enter and receive this kingdom that is indeed in our midst, right in front of us. Amen. When we give our gifts, our time, talent, and treasure to the ministries of the church, we do it not believing that we're going to build the kingdom of God, but we do it in support of the kingdom that God is ushering in to be participants with what God is doing. We give in many different ways in the life of this church. For those who would like to give right now, there's a QR code. There are offering boxes outside the sanctuary course we receive gifts through the mail and online and we are exceedingly grateful for the ways in which we commonly share the burden of this ministry through the 
offerings and tithes we bring today.